Well, we got to get going. We got 68 verses to go. No, it is not a typo. It's a long chapter. But this chapter is going over two main things, and we hinted at them last week. That is the blessings and the cursings that would come on the nation of Israel based on their choices. And we're going to have a little special nugget that we're going to put in the message as well, because 58 verses or 53 verses of cursings is a little much for me. So we're going to put some little secret nuggets in there. Let's go before the Lord in prayer, and we're going to jump in. Lord, we do pray that we would receive from you this evening your words, that you would teach us and direct us, as you're so faithful to do every week, that you would encourage us and fill us with your spirit. And as we learn from this text, we'd be able to apply it and share it with the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's read verses. We're going to start off a little slow, and then we're really going to hit some big chunks of when you're thinking, oh my goodness, this sermon's going to be three hours long. We've got a plan. Let's see if the Lord blesses it. Verses 1 and 2. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And this is going to be important for us to understand that for this whole chapter is if you do this. There's a choice. They get to choose what's going to happen to them because many times the enemy comes to us and thinks that we don't have a choice, that God's inflicting these things on us, these terrible things that are happening. They're not my fault. Why are they happening? And that's the quote-unquote secret thing I was talking about. We're going to talk about uh, responses for the question, why does God allow pain and suffering in the world? And how to respond that? Why would a loving God allow these terrible things to happen? And the hint for us is here what they're telling the nation of Israel, the choices that are being made. Now I want to point out in its context, these blessings and cursings are for the nation of Israel only. And we are no longer under these blessings and cursings. We never were. Only the nation of Israel was. This is a corporate covenant that God gave to the nation of Israel. Because every once in a while, it kind of goes away and it comes back. We'll talk about in the Church of America, oh, America's getting judged or America's being cursed. Well, when you start reading these cursings, you're going to be like, oh, man, if we were really getting judged, there would, there'd nothing would be left. And so we have to remember that we're in the age of grace, that God has taken that judgment on the back of his son, Jesus Christ, and that's where our judgment is. Now, that doesn't mean bad things don't happen to us, but we're going to talk about that a little bit more in, the little, in a little bit. The take-home, though, for us is going to be, what things are we going to choose? The nation of Israel was going to be blessed beyond belief if they simply obeyed and walked with the Lord. The last thing I want to say before we continue in verses 3 through 14 is this. Do we need to be blessed to have fellowship with God and to obey his word? He is God. If God is who he is, and he is, shouldn't we simply worship and obey him because he is God and we are not? We shouldn't need to attach blessings or cursings. It shouldn't be about us at all. It shouldn't be about what we're going to be prospered with or what punishment we're trying to avoid. We should simply be coming 
to him because he is God. More on that later. Let's read now verses 3 through 14. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall you be, shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and of the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall, be you, shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Verse 9. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasures, the heavens to give the rain, to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. Now, out of all these amazing blessings, to be called his holy people, the people called by his name, that should be the highest blessing there. If it was that one line alone without any other blessings, why not choose this? Now, that being said, all these verses, this entire section, this is the only portion of blessings in this entire chapter of 68 verses. Why not choose this? Why is it that the nation of Israel will f stumble and fall over and over again? They will go after false gods. They will compromise. They'll ask for a king instead of being led by God. They'll disobey the prophets. They'll murder the prophets. They'll lit the temple when the temple is built, lie fallow. The priests will go after worshiping other gods. They won't provide for the Levites. Time and time and time, rebellion against God and his people and his word. And that is the answer to so much pain and suffering in this world. It comes from the fall, our fallen nature. God did not create evil. He did not create pain and suffering. He did not create lies. That all came from sin when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and creation fell in rebellion to the life-giving creator of the universe. And ever since then, death has entered into the world. And so terrible things happen to good people and good things happen to terrible people. And we're going to give some answers as we go through major portions of this chapter on how to respond to people that are going to ask you, well, why does God allow so much pain and suffering in the world? Now, I want to come back corporately to the nation of Israel.
There is a long list of blessings here as well. And you will see the hand of God supernaturally on the nation of Israel. And many of these things come to pass. Their fields are best um, blessed. They are victorious in battle. There is miracles that are taking place. He does preserve them supernaturally from their enemies. And many times in spite of the very thing it says. What does it say in the last verse of that section in verse 14? Don't go after false idols. Until the Lord takes them captive for 70 years, the nation of Israel will continue to struggle with idolatry. After that 70-year captivity, it never happens again, at least nowhere near the proportion that we see in the Old Testament before the captivity. Well, let's read verse 15. Yes, just verse 15, and then we're going to get a move on. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Fifty-two verses. That's why I have notes, so I get the right number. Fifty-two verses of cursings is next. We had verses 3 through 14. That was the blessing. Man, that is a, that is, and that was a long list of blessings. We don't need any of them, right? We all agree. We nod. We say, man, just being in the presence of God, that's all I need. To be called as people, that's all I need. Well, now we have... 52 verses of God's, at this time of this writing, when Moses is speaking to the nation of Israel on the other side of the Jordan, these are potential judgments, meaning they don't have to happen. They, they don't have to happen. It is a choice that Israel makes. They can choose door number one, verses 3 through 14. Door number two, verses 15 through 68. And what do they choose, do you think? Well, let's see what's over here. (laughs) But don't we do the same thing every single day? Remember in Galatians, it says, God is not mocked. That as you sow, that shall you also reap. Well, let's get our first real good chunk of scripture, shall we? Verses 16 through 24. We're going to start in on these cursings. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send you on the on you the Lord will send on you cursing, confusion and rebuke in all that you set, set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. Verse 21. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, with mildew, and they shall pursue you until you perish. And your heavens which are over your head shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. You can see why I had to put some nuggets in here. Because it's going to continue like this, verse after verse after verse. But what is the question that creeps into your head? 
the terrible things that have happened to me in my life. Was that God's judgment on me, just like it's written to the nation of Israel? No. No, remember, this is a singular covenant with the nation of Israel. If we were truly judged for our sins, we would all be ashes. So, the question then comes to us, how do we respond when people ask, am I being judged by God? Why does God allow terrible things? How can a good and loving God allow all these things? Now, I'm going to share, as we go through these sections, different answers that come from an outline, because I'm not that smart to put things together this concisely. This outline comes from an article written by the Christian Research Council by Lee Strobel. It's called Handling Christianity's Greatest Challenge. It was written in 2001. If you want to see the entire article in its full length, you can go to alwaysbeready.com, and it is in suffering and evil section, and it responds to multiple defenses and apologetics for it. But there's three A's. The first A is going to be assessing. When somebody asks you that question, you need to assess why are they asking you that. Because if they are really experiencing present pain, they don't, the answer is not important. Don't, don't go straight to the answer. You need to listen and respond with action, not answers. Comfort, compassion, love. If somebody's really hurting at that moment, the biblical answer is not always what they're after. And so we're going to assess. Now, we're going to read some more cursings, and then I'm going to give you the next A. All right, let's read verses 25 through 37. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them, and you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the the earth, and no one shall frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab, with the itch from which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart, and you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall, only, you shall be only oppressed and plundered continually, and no one shall save you. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall lie with her. And you shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but shall not gather its grapes. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, and you shall not eat of it. Your donkey shall be violently taken away before you, and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, and you shall have no one to rescue them. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people, and your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all day long. And there shall be no strength in your hand. A nation whom you have not yet not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. Excuse me, verse 34. So you shall be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes see. The Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils which cannot be healed, and from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. 
The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. Verse 37. And you shall become an astonishment, a proverb and a byword among all nations where the Lord will drive you. You know, a couple key notes there. How did, how did Moses know that they were going to ask for a king and that God was going to give them one? But they will. You see, all these things become prophetic over the, over the centuries as the nation of Israel progresses and goes through time. They will consistently have times of revival and a falling away and restoration. And revival and a falling away and restoration. As we continue through the Old Testament, we're going to see this happening over and over again because of sin. And so the next A is going to be answer. Where do these things come from? First, we're going to assess where's this question coming from. Do they have real pain or do they have just a quick basic answer? Is this a theological discussion or is this a personal issue they're going through? Second one is going to be to answer. Number one, the answer is that human suffering comes from the fall. It comes from man's free will to choose. And we have chosen many poor things over the millennia of man's existence, but it all started back in Adam and Eve when they chose to sin, to eat of the tree of good and evil. Now, we are consistently making choices ourselves. The nation of Israel, all they had to do was serve God, and none of these things would happen. But they would choose not to. Now remember, this is a corporate covenant. That means it's a covenant, a promise that God makes with the nation of Israel. But even in the midst of times of cursing, there's always a faithful remnant. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But for us, we need to remember the second answer, and that is suffering isn't good. Suffering isn't good. But God uses it to pull people to salvation. God uses it to bring people to Christ. And number three, suffering will end soon. God is going to put an end to suffering. Man caused suffering. God allowed it. But man caused it and is causing it. So when the atheist says, how can a loving God allow all this pain and suffering in the world? You could just flip that right back to script right over. How can a good humanity cause all this pain and suffering in the world? Like if there is no God, then can't you fix it? Why aren't you fixing it? And so you could just flip that accusation right back. But a good and loving God is going to judge the world, and he is going to end suffering soon, very soon. And we want to use our present situation to bring people to Christ. Well, let's read now verses 38 through 46, and I'll give you another A. You guys ready? Spoiler alert. Nothing good coming now. Okay, just checking. You shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in, for the locust shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and tend them. But you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with oil. For your olives shall drop off. You shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours. They shall go into captivity. Locusts shall consume all your trees and the produce of your land. The alien who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you. 
and you shall come down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded you. Verse 46. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder, and on your descendants forever. So, he said, you're going to be destroyed. But then he says, I'm going to have, you're going to be assigned from your descendants forever. Why does it say that? Because God can't break a promise. So even though he says that all these judgments are going to come across by Israel because they're poor choices, which they will, he's never going to leave them nor forsake them. He will chasten them. But Israel exists to this day. Then his people are going to make it through the tribulation. And he is going to populate the new Jerusalem and the new the millennial kingdom with his people. And we will rule and reign over them with Christ and the rest of the tribulation saints. So he will, he will never leave us nor forsake us no matter how bad we are. So when you start asking, is God judging me? He may be allowing you to go through the repercussions for some of your dumb decisions. Because that as you sow, that shall you also reap. But if he were truly judging you on a righteous standard, what is the punishment for sin? Death. Is the punishment for sin a flat tire? No. Is the punishment for sin getting laid off in an inconvenient time? No. Is the punishment for sin fill in the blank? All those things that you might be questioning you. No, no, no. It's death. And you paid that debt. You paid that debt when you accepted by faith Jesus Christ when he took that punishment upon himself and he died for us. He fulfilled that punishment. That, that punishment is fulfilled. It happened. It's already, that's past tense. And he paid the price for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And so, no, don't allow the enemy to come in. There's a very easy rule that all of us can go by. If we go through a difficult situation and, it bring, and we are convicted to be closer to the Lord and to follow after him, then we know it's from the Holy Spirit. We know it's from the Word of God. If we go through a difficult situation and we feel condemned, it's our fault, God doesn't love us anymore, you know, is he even real, and you start feeling all that condemnation, that comes from the pit of hell. That's from Satan. So if it's conviction, we know it's from the Lord. If it's condemnation... We know it's from the enemy or from our flesh. We need to be very clear. And that's the third A. We had um, assess, we have answer, and now assurance. Assure, assure. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ that he has paid the penalty for our sins. Our hope is found in God's forgiveness and his love that we are deserving of far worse than we experience. Number two in assure. Why can I not say that word tonight? Assure. All things work together for the good for those that love him. All things work together for the good. Your suffering, your blessings, your dumb decisions, your good decisions. Everything works together for the good. And I tell people this all the time. I don't know how. I don't know when. 
and I definitely don't know why, but God will use our suffering for the good for those that love him. And then that's number three. This is when we're going to have some real perspective. Number three is this. Our current suffering, which we've already figured out is not judgment, our current suffering pales in comparison to hell, and it pales in comparison to heaven. You see, for the believer, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how bad it gets, and if you read church history, you reach the, reach the founding fathers, you read about um, persecutions that are going on in our, in our world today, about governments where people are just trying to be believers, even your present distress. I don't even want to belittle your present distress. It pales in comparison to eternal paradise forever and ever and ever and ever on into infinity from everlasting to everlasting in the presence of our righteous and holy Savior, God the Father. There's nothing, nothing that compares to that. The suffering that we experience, we know for the believer, is this is the worst it's ever going to get. And my goodness, it's pretty good. It's awesome to follow after our King. For the, belie- for the non-believer, our present suffering on this world is the best thing they're ever going to experience. Because the Bible says in the book of Revelation, from everlasting to everlasting, they will be in a lake of fire, eternal torment where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And our current suffering that the Lord is allowing so that more can enter into the kingdom for eternity pales in comparison to that pain. And so we have the assurance that's found in Christ and the hope that all things work together for the good for those that love him and the assurance that our current suffering as a believer is going to pale in comparison. And when we want to share that with someone and we're having this discussion, it needs to be said. They need to know. They have an eternity to choose in the midst. And that's why it's so important, though, to follow that, to follow those rules because you don't, you maybe not want to lead with, well, at least it's better than hell. When somebody's just lost a child, they need to have some assurance. They need to find some comfort. They need to be heard, and we need to assess that situation. But when you're being attacked by a militant atheist who's just trying to belittle your faith, then you might have a different response. But the truth of God's word remained the same. How sad it is that many People lived through many of these things that were read. And remember when we started the beginning of this chapter? Wouldn't it have been better just to follow after the Lord? Just to be, in his, just to be called by His name? But then when we wonder and we get contaminated by this 21st, 20th century American evangelism where everything good and prosperous comes from loving and following after God, but then you read church history... And you realize that there are martyrs that gave their whole lives to the Lord that were beaten, they were maimed, they were stoned, they were flogged, they were burnt on stakes, they were beheaded, they were tortured. Their lives were pain and suffering and sickness. And they said what Paul the Apostle said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It didn't matter because our present suffering pales in comparison to eternal paradise. And so we have to decontaminate ourselves a little bit. That 
True love of God is not found in present prosperity. The true love of God is that he gave his only begotten son. That is the love of God shed towards us. That we are no longer under this covenant because of Jesus. How great it is to be called a Christian, to be called by his name. He took the punishment upon himself. Well, let's close this out with verses 47 through 68. Sorry, there's no positive spin here. The cursings continue. Verses 47 through 68. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with, jo- with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, which why wouldn't you? But verse 48, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and need of everything. He will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth. As swift as the eagles fly, a nation whose language you will not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which does not respect the elderly nor show favor to the young. And they shall eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land until you are destroyed. They shall not leave you grain or new wine or oil or the increase of your cattle or the offspring of your flocks until they have destroyed you. They shall besiege you at at all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall eat the fruit of your own body the flesh of your sons and your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you, in the siege and the desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. The sensitive and the very refined man among you will be hostile towards his brother, toward the wife of his bosom, toward the rest of his children, whom he leaves behind, so that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children, whom he will eat, because he has nothing left in the siege and desperate straits which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. The tender and delicate woman among you, who would not venture to set her sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity, will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to her and to her daughter. Now, I'm going to skip a few of these verses because they they just get worse and worse and worse and worse. So we're going to jump down to verse 62. You shall be left few in number. Not my first day. (laughs) Verse 62. You shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of the heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. It shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked off from the land which you go to possess. Then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known. Wood and stone, verse 65. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have resting place, but the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. For your life shall hang in doubt before you, You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, oh, that it were evening. And in the evening you shall say, oh, that it were morning because of the fear which terrifies your heart. 
and because of the sight which your eyes see. And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships by the way by which, of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. And there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. Well, there's a couple aspects there where you even see cannibalism, and it even speaks very vividly about um, eating children. And you would say, man, that's just terrible. That would never happen. Well, it happened in 2 Kings chapter 6. In 2 Kings chapter 6, um, Jerusalem, the cities are taken in siege. It's month after month, the prophets are, are telling them. And then in Lamentations chapter 4, it's also recorded. And these very things happen. Then we also see where it says the Lord shall scatter you among the nations from one end of the earth to the other. And we've seen these things. It said that he would raise up a foreign nation. We saw that with the Assyrians taking the northern tribe, the southern tribe being taken into Persia. Seventy years of captivity because they continued to follow after false gods, to worship idols, constantly turning away from the Lord. We say, how can a good and loving God do these to all their people? Well, how can Israel not follow the true and loving God who performed all those miracles and got them through the desert, which was their fault to begin with, led them to the nation of Israel? All they had to do was just follow after him, and verses 3 through 14 would have been their future. How is it that we continue to fail? And we see that all these negative things. But is it God inflicting or is God warning? Listen, son, don't go playing in the street at night. Don't go playing in the street at night with no lights on. Don't go playing in the street at night when you hear cars coming. And listen, if you get hit by a truck, this is what's going to happen. And you're very explicit. Nothing like a mom grabbing her child who's about to put a fork in an outlet. That's not a happy talk. Do you know what will happen to you? And it explained in detail. And then maybe a thrashing comes along with it. But why do you do that? You do that because you want them to know. If you do that, what will happen to you will hurt even more than what is happening. And listen, the cannibalism of children and being invaded by a foreign country and all these terrible, terrible things, they are terrible. Remember, suffering is not good pales in comparison to everlasting hell fire forever and ever and ever and god is saying don't do it don't go there i have given you my son to save you and we know as believers that he has made a way of our salvation and he also made a way that we can't mess it up because he knows how bad we really are There's no work that needs to be performed. There's no promise we have to keep because we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, not by works, lest any man should boast. And we are saved from all these things. Now, I want to separate. I want to separate God's corporate judgment on the nation of Israel as a unique example, but we can take some spiritual applications for all of us and realize We don't have it that bad. I don't know about how you guys were raised, but in my household, when I was raised with my grandparents, my kids hear it every once in a while now. They still waste the food, though. They don't don't care. 
but I tell them the story about my grandparents and my great-grandparents making it through the winter of 1945 after the Nazis' invasion, how they ate tulip bulbs and they boiled grass. They barely survived. And that story is going from my family from generation to generation, and, I, th and that's usually followed by a lecture of how spoiled they are. <laughs> but listen, all of us, how spoiled we are. And we get to enjoy it times even more so because of the grace of our Lord, because of the goodness that he's bestowed upon all of us. So, yes, I, again, I don't want to do what many pastors do and belittle our current struggles, mental, physical, emotional, relational. But I do want you to be encouraged. All things work together for the good. And in comparison, in comparison, all of us should be floating out of here with the grace that God has bestowed upon us spiritually and materially. So we're going to close in prayer. We're going to spend some time, and I pray that this time is just us pouring that thanks back to the Lord, interceding for one another, and just praying that he speaks to us. Lord, as we just come into this time of prayer together, Lord, we pray that you would be honored and glorified through us. And I just thank you again for all that you have spared us from. And I don't know what times are coming ahead. I pray for a great revival until your glorious return to take your church home. But I do know your judgment will be poured out on this planet for the sins it's committed, Lord. And I thank you all the more that you've called us your own. I pray for those that are hurting and lost. I pray that you would use us to save souls and that your will would be accomplished in Jesus' name.